yeah, that name right there, that guy should be able to stay in baseball forever. Archimedes Caminero. Nine, eleven left-handers in their lineup every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they bat eleven lefties in a nine-man lineup. So you're telling and me I came up with an example that you liked? I, I you know what? I was away, so it's like I'm being nice. And welcome to episode 14 of Artificial Turf Wars, home of the four-out save. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Hey, Josh, how's it going? Hey, uh, I'm back. Chris, you're back? Yes, welcome back. Uh, you, you made it back, safe trip? Well, you know, I had some trouble getting down from that tree, but then I <laughs> called Kevin Pillar, told him there was a pitcher in there, and he just started hacking. <laughs> That's horrible. Um, Chris was supposed to be here tonight, but uh, I just I got a text from him here. It says, you don't say no to Charles Barkley. That's it. Nothing. Um, <laughs> for what that's worth. All right. So we should get to baseball because none of that makes any sense at all. Uh, the last week, uh, we're going to talk about the Blue Jays slate of games, which we're going to be happy about, unlike like two weeks ago when we nearly cried. Um, Jays acquired <laughs> we had a place. We're going to drive just so we wouldn't. <laughs> Jay's acquired a reliever, said goodbye to somebody who we've only known for a very short time. Um, Jose Bautista talked to Sports Illustrated and said more things about Toronto. Uh, we have our usual slate of listener questions. Uh, a Toronto legend retired in the baseball circles. And we, of course, have from our local broadcasting crew a do-over, <laughs> which is pretty good. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, the usual sort of housekeeping type stuff, I think. Um so are they are they six and one this week or are they five and two? Are oh, they? I guess it, I don't really know how you define the week. Well, from the last, I, I, yeah. I just remember that they won the last year. I actually don't remember how it ended. They won. Uh, did, did, did Were they trying for a? Yeah, I don't know if they were trying for a sweep of the Yankees last time. Mm. They are six yeah. and one because yeah, they, they won, won the last last game, game against the Yankees. Yeah, they, so six and one. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty good. Leave. Yeah, that's that's a good week. They should do that every week, I think. Yeah, that's a good strategy. I think you should be coaching this team, Greg. I, I'm. Uh, I've, I've got an application in. Um, I, I haven't heard anything back yet, but it's probably, you know, it's probably with the trade, probably busy, probably tomorrow. Yeah, just you know, it's some red tape. <laughs> <laughs> Often I yell at them to play better on the TV screen, and that you know it's worked this week, so I could do that from the dugout. I think I have, go. I have a good yelling voice. Um, what has changed about this team? I mean, they're playing division opponents. Uh, they're playing the Yankees, who are clearly not as good a baseball team as the Blue Jays. They have a, they have that back end of the bullpen. But if you don't have a lead... <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work so well. Although, actually, that, that back end of the bullpen is when they cost them the first game of the series. True enough. Uh, and it cost them, incredibly, the last game of the I first the second game, actually. Yeah. Second game, and it cost them. Uh, Araldis Chapman blew the save in the the last game of the series in New York, the first game of the week or our week. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, not Devin Travis, one hundred and three mile an hour fastball for a hit. Yeah, the of course that's the apparent velocity because Chapman throws from so far in front of the mound, but it's still over. It's all like one hundred and one point two. It. Oh, well, Every, in that case, it's everybody pretty, measures it's not... differently, right? It's like wow, <laughs> like, uh, so many charts, real freaking fast that's what that's how hard Raldis Chapman throws 
I, I don't know how many people geek out and actually look at like pitch velocity charts and everything, but MLB.com has a button and it says Araldus Chapman filter and it's got a picture of his face. Because <laughs> yeah, all the high fastest pitches are all him. Exactly. The only reason that's there is so you can remove him from the list of fast pitches so you could see other pitchers um, on the top <laughs> like 50 list. Uh, he's ridiculous. Uh, and and then you would see that Archimedes Caminero is like the second best or second hardest it was thrower. Just a great name. Yeah, that name right there. That guy should be able to stay in baseball forever. Archimedes <laughs> Caminero. <laughs> Sends shivers up my spine. Where is he from? Where, where do you name your kid Archimedes? I don't know. It's not spelled like the you know old school Archimedes. It's got a Q in it. Yes, it is. <laughs> Obviously. Archimedes? Um, so they, they beat Chapman. Uh, the Red Sox came to town. They, the Blue Jays, had not won a game in which they'd allowed four runs all year. Didn't, didn't matter. As soon as four, the fourth run crossed the plate, the Blue Jays couldn't win. And then two days in a row versus the Red Sox, they allowed more than four runs and won both games anyway. <laughs> and it happened in that game against the Yankees too when they gave up that fourth run and Osuna had to come in in the ninth yeah so three games in a row <laughs> the Jays totally know uh, so I, everything's random I understand that it's just I I never know if I'm seeing the real character of this team well I want to go back to that Chapman thing you mentioned I mean we're talking about what's changed right mm-hmm the biggest thing that's changed is they've started getting some key hits. And you know, they beat Chapman, Batances, and Craig Kimbrell in the span of four games. Yeah. I mean, that's three of the five best relievers in all of baseball. Absolutely. It, and, and you just you sit there and you go, these are the guys who... And these, the really weird part is <clears throat> they're not working that first inning pitcher nearly as much as they were in the first few weeks of the season. And they don't know they're not really killing starting pitching, but the last week or so when it's really come down to the grind, they have maybe shortened up the swing a little bit and have stopped swinging for the fences and have gone, all right, all we need to do is put a ball in play here and something good might happen. Um, well, I mean, that's really highlighted in that one at bat that you posted on Thursday morning or was it Wednesday morning? Uh, I guess wait, today's Wednesday. So yesterday <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing real well. But now that Russell Martin mad bat against Kimbrell in the ninth, uh, you know, it's like he took this huge hack with two strikes and fouled the ball off. And it's like, wait, no, the tying run is on third base. I just need to shorten this up. And he did. And he hit a line drive double to tie the game. Yeah. And, he, and it's not like he didn't rip the ball that he hit. You don't have to swing from your heels as a professional hitter to get the bat speed you need to make contact and drive the ball. I mean, it looks much more impressive when you hit a ball 400 miles. Uh, but you're right, situationally, if you've got a guy on third and the, it's a tie game or you're, you know, you're only up by one run or down by one run late, that infield is, is playing for you to just put it over their heads. They're, you know, everything is to your advantage as the hitter. Why not use the advantage of, of what is on the field? If you see somebody playing no doubles defense, well, don't, don't try and crank it to the wall because that's the one they're going to catch just well, yeah but i mean that, but that's what they've been doing in that game when they came back against or i guess it, it was tied but when they scored the runs off potences with pilar and barney just slapped the ball through the right side they weren't trying to do anything special it's like hey i've got runners in scoring position 
and a guy in right field who can't throw it to the infield in the air. <laughs> that was sad, man. Well, I mean, Russ Snyder's a second baseman. He's not supposed to be playing right field. True. But he throws still... like a second baseman. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow. Is that going to get here? Is it going to get here, like, not in the crowd? As it, it, Not only is it short, but it's offline. Like, combining those two things is sad to me. Um, you think he'd, you know, take a few in practice, knowing he's going to be playing <laughs> out in left field? Try a few while they're, you know, sh- you're, while you're shagging flies. Actually try and throw it somewhere near home plate. Yeah, but anyway, the point was, you know, the approach was good. It's, you know, this guy is going to beat us. I, we, I'm not going to be able to pull the ball very well against Matanzas. I'm not Jose Bautista. So it's like, I'm just going to look for the ball the other way. And if he throws me a pitcher, a fastball out there, I'll just shoot it through the hole. And they both did it. And it scored, they ended up scoring three runs against a guy who, I don't know, had he given up three runs all year? Well, he certainly had struck out just about everybody he'd faced all year. And that, uh, you know, when you're looking at Barney and, and Pilar, those are the kinds of guys you're expecting to strike out against Patances. Um, and, you know, and it's just gone yeah. with the, the starting rotation has continued to be incredible. Well, yeah. Non-Marcus Stroman division. Who has been... Mm, is middling fair? <laughs> I don't want to call yeah. him bad. Middling. No, he hasn't been bad. He just hasn't been that good. I mean... This is kind of the fear that we, we, we addressed this right before the season. It's like this expectation that he was going to be the ace when he had never really done it before. Right. And he's not doing it. He's actually doing some things that were not doing some things. He's not striking out people even as much as Jay Happ. Which is kind of weird when you look at the repertoire of the two guys and, and how they pitched in the past. You... you where are the strikeouts from, from Marcus Stroman? He's had like one game against the hard-swinging Tampa Bay Rays where he had what looked like strikeout stuff. And the rest of it is all too much contact and too much solid contact. Yeah. Um, I've, hey, look at this. I'm going to talk about another piece on the site. Kyle Matt actually wrote something really interesting about this too, about how his breaking balls are so similar now that it might be causing him problems because – he doesn't have that big big variance in stuff and in movement that can really throw hitters off. So the pitches in isolation are very good, but when taken together, they actually become less good, which is why his stuff rating, which we have on our site as well, is not that good. It's just because everything looks so similar. Yeah, hitters can look inside a smaller box of pitches. The mm-hmm. speed variation and then the movement variation, was what the article said, isn't isn't maybe isn't big enough. And again, it remains to be seen whether... It's it's a minor adjustment on his part, or whether he has to rethink a major part of what he's doing. Maybe he needs to reintroduce that four seam fastball, um, and, and and use the upper part of the zone, right? Because he doesn't right now. He's he's the most ridiculous ground ball pitcher in all of baseball, and this is on a team with Aaron Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, and I actually think that's a really good point. I mean, this is a guy that when he came up, he was forcing fastballs and sliders, and he was getting a lot of strikeouts. So. I, I can understand why he went away with that, away from that a little bit, because he was giving up more home runs. But maybe try to mix those back in. And apparently, he himself has said that he has to do that. So it would be nice if he would start. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, you've acknowledged the problem. Now maybe let's try to fix it. Easier said than done. Sometimes. Uh, yes, it is. So you okay. mentioned Sanchez. I mean, yes. in this series, Sanchez, Hap, and Estrada. Combined to, combined to throw 19 and two-thirds innings, and they give up one run. Now, 
to be fair, I was going to say Aaron Sanchez has had a very, very solid year to this point with two starts, one in Texas and then his implosion versus, was it the Red Sox a while ago? Oakland. Whatever. Oakland. Those two starts, um, unfortunate. The one against Texas, uh, he was more of a victim maybe of, of circumstances um, to an extent. Yeah, I, didn't I, I thought great. he actually pitched okay in that one. He just kind of, you know, I mean, Chavez made his line a lot worse. <laughs> Thanks. Somebody called the, the uh, no, that's, I won't go there. Um, I was going to make fun of Chavez, but that's not nice. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, Sanchez has been everything that maybe we thought Marcus Stroman was going to be. He's been really consistent he's gotten tons of ground balls but his strikeouts when he needs them are there and the game that we just watched he had a vicious swing and miss curveball against the left-handers was just ridiculous Um, he's had that pretty much all year i mean that's this is the one of the biggest differences that he's got this curveball that he's getting down and in on left-handed batters and they just can't touch it yeah whereas last year you know the biggest one of the biggest reasons the lefties were crushing him, aside from not being able to get the fastball inside, which he's now doing, is that he couldn't throw a curveball down. And when you get curveballs up, you oh, get yeah. hit. <laughs> um, we'll get to that later um, in a different context. Um, to, <laughs> nice teaser tonight. And, and just a quick note: if you go to our predictions piece, someone on this podcast, not you, <laughs> predicted that Sanchez would be the best starter on the team. He's Which not, actually, but no, he's not. I That's, didn't pick Strowman. <laughs> <laughs> you may have picked the second best starter on the team. Um, <laughs> Sanchez tonight got robbed by an umpire, and he still managed to get six and two-thirds of scoreless baseball. But the inside corner to lefties, every fastball he threw there painted the black, and at least five of them were called balls. I have yeah. no idea what was going on, but it was just brutal. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, because that's the big pitch that's kind of been making him good. And it's like, no, nah, I'm not, not going to give that to you today. You're going to have to pitch without it. <laughs> yeah, and and that's the pitch where the umpire is looking. That's the corner he's looking over. <laughs> he's looking between the catcher and the batter's hands. It's not like the outside corner, which is a vague area for some umpires because of the the angle that they crouch at, right? He's looking yeah, I don't right get it. down at like, it. How do you miss those? <laughs> it's like, did the... There's no parallax here. You're not trying to figure out how far would I have to move. No, you're looking right down at it. But it's a Yankee team. Maybe Yankee teams still get a little benefit of the doubt, especially when they have, uh, I don't know, what is it, 9, 11 left-handers in their lineup every night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they bat 11 lefties in a nine-man lineup. <laughs> yes, it seems like that, except for A-Rod. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, you know, he was facing difficult circumstances in that way and still managed to get himself into a very good position and and uh despite getting into trouble a couple of times um the yankees were never able to step on him in any significant way that said i really think the yankees are actually quite bad yeah i mean when we had jay jaffe kind of covered this in our preview edition of this he's like you know what this team scored a ton of runs last year they're not good hitters (laughs) they're old they're just not what they were and we're really seeing it i mean they look just overmatched. I mean, at no point did they seem like they were really going to hit. No. 
No, there, there, there was like, well, maybe they'll squeeze out a run here. And, and if the Blue Jays hadn't scored yet, it was kind of like, well, a run or two could be difficult because they have the good pitching. And the, but I never thought, oh, the Yankees are just going to slap us around. Yeah. E- even with, you know, even with Chavez or Floyd or whoever coming in, it, it, I was like, well, they might score a run or two here. But the names, Carlos Beltran, Alex Rodriguez, Brian McCann, and Mark Teixeira, sound good. <laughs> But it's not 2011 or 2009. It's 2016. And the Yankees, at least their lineup, finally got old in a very real way. And I I, I don't think they'll be a horrible team. I just, that combined with their apparent defensive ineptitude, (laughs) because they can't hang on to baseballs and or uh, catch them in general, uh, apparently, just at random times, is going to do them (laughs) in over the long run. Yeah, I mean they just they just don't seem like a threat. Mm. Just you know, before we get off this rotation, we mentioned how good Happ and Estrada have been, and Estrada was the guy we were alluding to as actually the best guy. The Blue Jays now are number one in Major League Baseball in innings pitched from their starters by twelve innings over the next best team. <laughs> Who saw that coming? Nobody. If you if you say oh I figured this was going to be the, the the most consistent starting rotation in baseball, you, you're lying. Nobody, <laughs> nobody said that preseason, especially because Hap was working on two months of fantastic and three or four years of, eh. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aaron Sanchez has no st- track record. Right, he's got a dozen starts under his belt before this season, so you you really so, never did he even know. have twelve? I, I believe. I believe it was 12, but I, I could be wrong. Um, but regardless, you're just not looking at a group that has enough track record that you could even say that. The no. only guy you know is going to make put innings on the board is Ari Dickey. Yeah, I know. It's been really strange. But, hey, we love it. <laughs> All right. We had a trade. We should probably talk about the trade. Okay. Jason Grilly, the grilled cheese man himself, who is almost a Blue Jay like twice in the past <laughs> two years, is a Blue Jay. Finally. Yes. And he was traded for a, do we call them, they called him a prospect. Is he really a prospect? I mean, that was just essentially being nice, kind. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, the guy that they did, so I'll try that with actual words. The guy they (laughs) traded him for, Sean Ratcliffe, he's a, you know, he's a Toronto area guy born in Ajax. Uh, You know, he's 21 year old relief pitcher who has not cleared Vancouver yet. I mean, the, the odds of that guy ever making the big leagues are slim. He's like all those guys they traded for uh, the... Ben Sergio, no, Sergio Santos. Was that yeah, Nestor Molina? Sure for him. Yeah, Nestor, Nestor Molina. Molina. It's the where are they now segment. Um, yeah, that was a, <laughs> it was a salary dump and they didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, I guess, is really what happened. So And like not much of a salary dump because because oh, Atlanta's playing everything but the prorated minimum of the salary, but it's like, hey, we can save four hundred thousand dollars, let's do it. Alrighty then. Uh Jason Grilly was very good the last couple of years. Uh he, from what I read, still strikes out a ton of people for a thirty nine year old guy, but he also lately has walked a ton of people. So I don't know. Do the do the Blue Jays just think he's going to be effective enough that that doesn't matter? I'm not really sure what the thinking is here. I mean, as you mentioned, he's been really good recently. He was amazing in 2015, and then his he's, his season ended early because he I think he tore his calf or I can't remember what it was exactly. It was it was a leg injury though. It it wasn't to his arm. 
and he came back, but his velocity is way down this year, mm. like two miles an hour down. We've got a lot and, of that going around, don't we? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> the new Storin. Um, but he didn't have a spring training, really, because he was still rehabbing when the spring happened. So I think the hope is that so he still has the stuff to strike guys out. And then as he pitches more, his strength will come back and he'll be the guy that was dominant and that the guy that Atlanta hoped was going to be their big September or deadline trade piece. Interesting. Yeah. But I mean, at worst, he's a no risk pickup. I mean, if mm -hmm. he's good, awesome. If he's not, who cares? They just cut him and say, I mean, the guys he's replacing, it's like the seventh man in the pen. Yeah. Yeah, the bullpen eight. pecking order is not overly affected by it if he's not any good. You still have guys in... You still have the same guys in AAA to bring back up, and you're no worse off than you were without him. So you give him an right, audition. exactly. Fair enough. Uh, that means we said goodbye to uh, the legend that was Jimmy Parides. Yeah, actually, Parides was gone before the trade because they needed that extra reliever after the, the Boston series. The, you know, the, the bullpen pitch was at 11 innings in two games or something like that. Mm. And it's like, okay, we're going into the Yankees. We need some people who can pitch. So he was DFA'd. And while sitting in to DFA limbo, uh, his number came up in the sense that there was no room for him on the there, – there, there wouldn't be any room to put him back on even if he cleared waivers, right? That's, That's pretty much what it yeah. was. So the Phillies decided to give us a player to be named later or cash. Yeah, it's going to be cash. It's going to be cash. So nope. I, I'll remember fondly all the times he um, played baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had some. He had that home run in his first at bat, and then he had some strikeouts with runners on third and less than two out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and he did not play defense nearly as well as I thought a utility infield guy might. That was exciting. All right, so goodbye, Jimmy. Thanks for dropping by. Um, <laughs> that means that the Blue Jays have announced that that extra reliever that they brought to form an eight-man bullpen is staying around until Tulowitzki is off the disabled list. Which I guess we should mention, Tulowitzki is on the disabled list. Oh, that yeah, happened that happened this week, didn't it? Uh, yeah, so Tulo injured his quad? I don't even remember. Calf? Yeah, it was. Quad. Yeah, it's quad. So, yeah, it's just a, yeah. it's a strain. He, he expects to be on the, the minimum stay on the DL. He didn't really want to go on the DL to begin with. But, for, yeah, in the meantime, it's eight-man eight, eight man pen. Our least, and, this, this may be our biggest pet peeve around around uh, BP Toronto as a group. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody likes the eight-man pen. <laughs> but the interesting thing will be that once Tulewitzki comes back, the need for the bench is actually not going to be that big. Because who are you going to hit for? Um, Saunders. Why would you no. pitch it for Saunders? He's doing really well. Okay, wait. Uh, <laughs> well, you're not going to hit for Martin. Martin's going to hit for Tolly if he has to. Uh, you're not going to hit for Donaldson. The only guy hit you'd hit for is Pilar, and they never do that anyway, even when they have a bench. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they really have no bench now because their bench is Ryan Goins who obviously isn't going to pinch hit for anybody ever in the history of mankind. Uh, <laughs> you have uh, the backup catcher, who nobody ever pinch hits for the backup catcher because of injury worries, which is silly. And your bench is Ezekiel Carrera. Yep. 
who's and he and he, and if you were going to hit for Pilar, he would be the guy you'd use. At least he's left-handed. Yeah, he's actually hitting really well. Oh but, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, but just, this is the thing. It's like so when Tulo comes back, Goins is going to go down. Right. And at that point, I mean, the A-man pen might stay. Yeah. <clears throat> just because no, but just because it's like you don't need Tulo, Travis, Barney, and Goins. That there's just no point to that. Mm-hmm. And I, and as we mentioned, there's no one you're going to hit for or use as a defensive replacement. So I wouldn't be shocked if that stayed until someone really forced the issue from AAA, which, as you discussed in the last podcast, nobody's doing. Yeah. My only issue with the eight-man pen in that context is uh, obviously you can't really pinch run for anybody, which is occasionally nice. Um, and that eighth guy in the pen is not doing anything. Like the amount of times he actually gets used is about as much as you would use the pinch runner. You'll be like, when there's eight men in the pen, sometimes there's two guys who you're like, I got to look up the last time this guy pitched. And it's been, oh, nine days. Well, that's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad he's making the, the major league money and earning his keep. Uh, but it doesn't seem like a very good di- distribution of resources to have a guy go a week between pitching appearances. And then when he does pitch, he's in he's in like a five-run blowout because he's the eighth guy in the pen. That's I what think, drives me crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I expect it to eventually go back to the normal size. And they'll, I don't know, they'll call it Montero or Andy Burns again or something like that just to, to have another bat. But in the short term... It protects you from having to keep using the same guys. Which is good if your starting rotation, say, isn't racking up the most innings in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> but and yet somehow they're really overworked because they keep playing all these close games. So it's like, oh, need the, need, the, need Floyd, need Viagini, need Osuna. Oh, crap. Need those three guys again. <laughs> it's just like, no. This is suboptimal. Uh, yeah, you got to win a few blowouts and even things out somewhere, somehow. Which is the age did. Yeah. No, that was just one seven nothing. And then the game was closed out by Aaron Loop and Ryan Tapera. That's the plan, folks. Do more of that. See, I could be a manager. <laughs> <laughs> Do more of that, boys. Uh, uh okay. Controversial words statement. Of wisdom from Wisniewski. <laughs> Controversial statement incoming. Jose Bautista would be stupid to leave Toronto. That's actually a statement from Jose Bautista. Yeah, so it's not so stupid. It's not so controversial. <laughs> but it doesn't make any sense. I would really be... What is Jose Bautista doing? You tell me. He went in Sports Illustrated this week, and he, he made his case for what? Well, he also, in the later on in the interview, said he still doesn't take, is not going to take a discount. So <laughs> I don't think it means a heck of a lot. I think it's just because people keep asking him about this. So he's like, look, I love it here. I don't want to leave. But they still have to pay me. So it's like if they pay me what someone else will pay me, I will stay. If they don't, I'll leave. I think that's what it is. He doesn't want to leave, but he wants to get paid. Yeah, I mean, who's going to manage all of his booster juices if he uh, if he has to go to some <laughs> other city? Who's going to do quality Clark. control at the booster juice? <laughs> <laughs> I want everyone yes. to picture Jose Bautista in the back of a booster juice, throwing fruit around, screaming at people that it's not good enough. Everybody picture that now? <laughs> Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. No, but, I mean, it, it's just, you know, he's playing the PR game at this point. It's like, you know, he wants people to know how much he loves the city, but he also wants to know. It's like, look, if I don't stay, it's not on me. But, of course, it is on him to some extent, right? 
Because well, but not, I mean, to a reasonable yeah. extent. I mean, but if he's saying it's like, look, if I leave, it's because they didn't match someone else. It's not because they didn't beat them. Fair enough. Uh, the funny thing I found about it is at the very end, he talks about himself as a franchise player, which, again, he says he doesn't want to be bragging, and I don't think he really is, because clearly the identity of Jose Bautista and the Blue Jays will be forever tied together. But he gives four players that are like him. Alomar, Carter, Halliday, and I believe Wells. Boomer? No. None uh. of whom, as I recall, <laughs> retired as a Blue Jay. Or did, <laughs> did Carter? No. No. So none of the four people he talks about as being his example for the kind of franchise player that can come back and have an impact after retirement and, and be part of the franchise were actually career Blue Jays. So it's kind of like, well, are you, are you subtly taking a jab saying it didn't happen before, it's not going to happen now? Or are you just calmly ignorant of the fact that retiring with the Blue Jays is something that... Nobody does, really. Like, yeah. It, I, it, <laughs> this is a, sometimes people say things just like, "Oh, that didn't have quite the effect that I meant it to." <laughs> but uh, you know what? It's like this is all just noise, I and mean, none of it means anything. No, because he can say anything he wants. It's going to come down to who pays him the most, as it is with ninety-five percent of free agents. Yep, it's about the money. Stupid, always. Um, unless you're Dustin Pedroia. He never got to free agency, so it doesn't count. Okay. Fair enough. He would have got more in free agency, though. We know that. Uh, okay, that, I think, ends our Jose Bautista interlude. Do you want to go to listener questions now? Sure, let's do it. All right. We had one I overlooked from last week from Quinn. And, uh, it was regarding... This was during our extreme, extreme... Ejections period. <laughs> so Quinn was was wondering, of course, um, is John Gibbons getting ejected so he can drink beer in the clubhouse? To uh, does, that would be wine. Yeah. I don't, why did it change to wine? It was He's beer last dude. year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can see John Gibbons with a Pinot Noir. Um, <laughs> Does he have to pay for his own beer? I guess that would be wine. And uh, is this the answer to the previous question? Is that uh, explaining the Jays' inability to spend money on free agents in the off season? I really laughed at that one. It's like, <laughs> sorry, we can't we can't afford to go get these guys because John Gibbons' wine budget is through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> we we can't keep him out of the stuff during games. We can't keep him after. Oh man, it's horrible. Uh, so do we have any serious answers to that question? Of course we don't. Uh, I think, I think John Gibbons, not all of the ejections. I think once in a while he does go out on the field because he's just sick and tired of whatever's going on on it. And he, he he's conscious of the fact that he's going to get tossed. Yep. <laughs> I think every manager has done it at least once in his career if he's been in the league for any significant amount of time, to be honest. Yeah, it's just like, you know what? I had enough of this crap. Yeah, not uncommon. Let's go. Um, did you have a question over there from Brian? Yes, Brian A at big underscore B underscore SR. That's right. Nailed it in one, Greg. <laughs> yeah, I let you have that one. <laughs> he asked who the biggest surprise, who's the biggest surprise from the starting rotation, good or not good? Well, we discussed Stroman earlier. I guess he's 
he would be the not good surprise in the sense that he has not quite yet risen to the challenge. I would still say Jay Happ is the biggest surprise that he's been so consistently good. Mm-hmm. But you look at his stuff and you go, I don't, I don't know how you're doing it. Like I follow people on other teams uh, on the Twitter who follow other teams regularly, and there are very often comments about Jay Happ, and they usually boil down to, I, I don't know how he's doing that, <laughs> but I wish he would stop. He's like the reverse, like the Bizarro Strowman, because nothing he throws is plus. You know, his stuff is fine, but he mixes it so well, and he changes it up so well that he's just so hard to game plan for. And, you know, it's like you, you go in there looking fastball, he starts throwing changeups. Go in there looking for changeups, he's throwing cutters. And, and it works, and he's throwing strikes. But, yeah, I'm still with you. It's like nobody saw this coming. I mean, even it's like he's not even doing what he was doing in Pittsburgh. He's changed that up completely. It's like, oh, I was awesome. Time to fix it. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. We, so we don't know. We, we're not going to question it, but we, we both we both agree there. Um, next question I have is from Ben... Well, actually, both questions are about Barney, so we'll, we'll combine them, maybe. Uh, yeah. Ben Tuzum, which is at B Tuzum, and uh, Zahir, who's a frequent question asker, at Zeroid. Uh, so the first one is, why hasn't Barney played much shortstop in the past? Uh, hot damn, he looks good there. What do you think of his play at shortstop <laughs> so far? That's I'm just reading the tweets. And um, where will Darwin Barney finish in the AL MVP voting? <laughs> why don't you take the second one first, and I'll take the first one second. Uh, not. He will not finish in the AL MVP voting. <laughs> That's sadly, I I understand his play of late, uh, and John Gibbons writing the hot hand makes it feel all warm and fuzzy. But no, sorry. Uh, but thanks for trying. You could take the first one now. Yeah. So the reason he didn't play much shortstop because he came up in 2010, and another guy who came up in 2010 was Starlin Castro, who was this hot the hot shot prospect for the Cubs, and he was a shortstop. So it's like, well, okay, well, we'll move this other guy over to second. He played shortstop all the time in the minors. It but, is a, a bit like the Ryan Goen situation in terms of uh, there right. was. There's always like, somebody at shortstop when Ryan Goins is playing who is in some way better than Goins, even if it's not defensively at shortstop. Well, I mean that, that's actually a perfect <laughs> comp. It's like you know Ryan Goins had Jose Reyes, who was a better player but couldn't play shortstop, and Darwin Barney had Charlie Castro, who was a better player but couldn't play shortstop. So you're telling me and I came up with an example that you liked? I, I, you know what? I was away, so it's like I'm being nice. You must be rusty or something, man. I don't know what's going on. I know. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so he's moved over to second, and he, he was a gold glover there. He was as good as they get. Just He's the, like the Ryan Goins, but he was a shortstop. He's a natural shortstop, so it shouldn't be a surprise that he's playing it this well. Fair and true. Um... Those are are those all the questions, or did I miss one? No, that's it. Yeah, that's it. We did not get a lot because we kind of forgot to send out the question request. But it'll come at the same time every week, folks. You can just send them in, and we'll answer them. Honest. Um, a Toronto sports legend, writing legend, retired this week. I thought John Gibbons broke this news because I saw it in the post game presser. But apparently, <laughs> apparently, it was on Twitter a little bit before the game. Bob Elliott of the Toronto Sun has uh hung up his pen as it were now uh you've 
talked with Bob, and I think you've talked a, a little bit, uh, maybe not on the pod, but uh, about, you know, you have had a bit of a relationship with Bob in the past. So I'll let you take this one because he, he probably means a little more to you than he does to me. Yeah, I mean, for anybody who's followed Canadian baseball at all, this Bob Elliott has been the guy who has been the pioneer of, of just pushing this around the world. It's like, look how big Canadian baseball is. It would not be where it was without him. He's been uh, made a real effort to not only write about it himself, but to hire writers to write about it. And so not only furthering the game, but furthering the coverage of the game. And, you know, he, he used to be a beat guy and he was a well-known one. He's got a Spink Award. He's so he was recognized at the Hall of Fame. But, you know, he hasn't been that for a while. But he still is an icon when it comes to Canadian baseball. And then you mentioned with me, the reason I ever even started writing about baseball was because I just wrote a silly story while I was injured for my team's website. And he posted it on the Canadian Baseball Network. And just because that's what he did. It's like, oh, you know what? This is a good story about local baseball. Like, the, you know, the game that we play in this country and put it up there. And it just it meant a lot. And he reached out and he talked to me about it. And he apparently did that with a lot of people. So, you know, he'll be missed. He, you know, he didn't cover the game much, but he did cover the game, if that makes any sense. I, I think um, a lot of the times where you heard something about Bob Elliott, it, it was always the unusual angle or the behind the scenes thing that nobody was expecting. I, I, I don't recall what the incident was, but something had happened on the field either with like the grounds crew or with the umpires or something just just a year ago and one of the other all the beat writers were going back and forth on twitter speculating what happened after the game because i follow all of them and some of them were tweeting at one another and then one of them took a picture and they go well you really want to know what's going on there's bob he's down on the field talking to the grounds crew about what it was and they had a photo and there's bob in his little jacket and his hunched shoulders and he's got his notepad out and he's writing something down uh I think he became a legend because he was always the guy who literally did the footwork in order mm -hmm. to make things happen, where a lot of other people left themselves sitting in the press box. I think a lot of people respected that. So that was Yeah, all. and just taking that another step further, I, mean, I mentioned he didn't really cover the, the major league game as much anymore, but he still, like, he, he was the guy who went behind the scenes and had the process for all these big trades and the timelines. And just the stuff you mentioned is like, something a little cooler that you don't get from just the day-to-day -day coverage. He's going a bit deeper, and, you know, that's something that was always nice to read. So, Bob, uh, you will be missed. Um, I think the longer you've been a baseball fan in Canada, the more you will miss Bob Elliott, certainly. Yeah. All the best. Uh, okay, so we're going to go from, a, you know, that's a very nice sentimental. Now we're going to go and... <laughs> We're going to mock somebody. We're going to hand out a do-over. Yeah, we're going to go. <laughs> um, so today, Buck Martinez escapes our wrath, though he will be in the following clip. Uh, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where he was talking to Pat Tabler about how to handle David Ortiz. Let's... let's. Uh, Before you play it, just... Okay. He's not here. This was suggested by Chris, so he's here in spirit. Absolutely. A little what would you do with Ortiz in this situation if you were Floyd? How would I get him out? <laughs> I, I think I would try and, and throw a breaking ball under his bat. You know what he's trying to do, right? He's trying to go large right here, so a swing might get a little bit too long, so you throw him a breaking ball. There's a breaking ball, and he hammers it high and deep to right, and he's just <laughs> untied. David Ortiz, his fourth career home run against uh. Gavin Floyd. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that may not have been strategically the best the best choice there. Now to be fair, he was on exactly the same page as Russell Martin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's just it's for, I mean you know this is a, a, a tongue in cheek do over <laughs> it, it's just so funny it's like oh yeah I, I throw my breaking ball throws the breaking ball it's high at two <laughs> there was a lot oh, of crap one and a half second like, delay yeah so at the end of that clip which it's not on the audio there but Tab's like well I, you know I, I meant don't hang it <laughs> <laughs> you can't make that stipulation <laughs> you can't just well throw a good pitch well no thank you Sherlock Holmes we were play- <laughs> that's generally how it goes yeah so if you'd like that one back Tabby come on say that that was the wrong pitch and uh, we won't ever talk about it again um, though I suspect you're not ever going to talk about it again regardless alright so we are going to ask for your help a little bit of help, and then we're going to offer you something for it. Isn't that nice? Is that how it works? Um, oh, we are... so kind. <laughs> little give, little take. Uh, we are going to post a survey on uh, both th- through the BP Toronto website and through the Turf Bod Twitter account, so you can watch either of those websites. The survey will be about our little podcast that we have going here, Artificial Turf Wars. Just wondering uh, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of, what you like, what you don't like. And for your opinion... We will be awarding a Blue Jays shirtsy, or if you prefer, shirtsy. I don't know how you pronounce that, um, since it's kind of a made-up <laughs> word in my mind. <laughs> um, one of your choice from the Blue Jays shop. Uh, we will mail that to you, and uh, and you one one lucky participant in the survey will pick one of those up as a prize. So a little incentive, also a little incentive to make your podcast a better listen if uh, you want to give us some suggestions. That about sums it up, doesn't it, Josh? Yes, I think they covered that nicely. Okay, well, you can also, of course, go to iTunes, and you can review us on iTunes, tell us what you think, and uh, give us a rating, which will give us a clue whether you like us or not. You can find that under Artificial Turf Wars, of course. Or if you'd like to address us directly, you can get me at Coolhead2010 on Twitter, you can get uh, Josh at Joshua Housem, and you can get Chris at CW Sherwin. Now, I was going to ask you, the email, is there a direct podcast email since we changed names there is why don't you give that to the nice people artificial turf wars at baseball com. wow that's a lot of uh letters (laughs) yeah it's funny we named our podcast artificial turf wars i can never type the word artificial correctly there's always eyes in the wrong spot (laughs) artificial uh any final thought my friend yeah, actually, I, I had a, a. I just want to get your take on this. There's been a lot of talk that the next thing that you know Manfred's baseball cabal is going to do <laughs> is to raise the strike zone. What do you think is going to happen there? Um, number if it, one, if they do it, I think that they should not do it mid-season, which was a point Pedro Martinez made on his Twitter, and I 100% wholeheartedly agree with. Not of something you mess with in the middle of a season um what do i think is going to happen there if it results in a shrinking of the strike zone i think it would probably be better for this game if it simply results in a repositioning of the strike zone i think you might actually see that the offense gets worse before it gets better um because hitters have dialed themselves in to look for that low pitch um if you stretch it up well, see, that's the thing. You don't even know what's going to happen. 
I believe the law of unintended consequences will kick in is what I believe. Well, like, of course, that's 100% going to happen. But I think – I don't think the hitters will get worse because the only pitch they'd be eliminating is that pitch down below their knees that they can't hit anyway. I think what you're going to see, though, is that a lot of these guys that these have had success as extreme ground ball pitchers will see their numbers go far south. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like all of a sudden that those low strikes that guys have to swing at, they don't have to swing anymore. And if you make these sinker balls get the ball up, well, we've seen what happens with that. Where <laughs> I guess Stroman isn't throwing well. Yep. And, 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 you know, it's like all these guys have trained themselves to attack this spot. And if they're forced to switch, I mean, the, the sinker ball down has become the trend in the game. If they're forced to switch, it might actually be a really hard adjustment for a lot of pitchers. I think it's going to be a difficult adjustment for hitters because uh, the same deal that hitters used to be able to get to that that letter high fastball, and they've adjusted their sights downward. And now Jay Happ uses the letter high fastball as a ridiculous out pitch, even though it's only ninety one miles an hour. Chris Young does the same thing, right? Well, so does Estrada. Yeah. So these but, guys, but I'm not. But this isn't a situation where you're going to be seeing guys. I don't start throwing to the top of the zone. I think there's. I mean, all these pitchers I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the guys that work down, they can only work down. Yeah, you know, they don't have the extreme spin on their fastballs like Hap and Estrada and Chris Young that makes the balls tough to hit when they're up. Marcus Stroman cannot pitch up in the zone with a sinker. No, but Marcus Stroman. Same, same with Tyler Chatwood, Jaime Garcia, all these guys. Yeah, I, I, I think the results will probably be far more chaotic than even you and I think. <laughs> well, there's your laws. Yeah, the unintended, that, unintended consequences again. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because the other thing about moving the strike zone the way it is, is you do not know what the umpires will will interpret that adjustment as. I know what they're told to do, but they're told to call the rule book zone right now, and they don't. So I don't know what happens when you tell them to move the bottom of the zone. Um, that's true. And when the zone, anyway, it's just, it's just yeah. interesting. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a strange thing to want to do, but you know, maybe we'll see what happens. Um, I will give you a final thought, actually, from Steve McEwen, who uh, is a Blue Jays Plus writer. Um, he put it in a chat that we are in together uh, tonight. He said, "Also, if anyone cares, and I, I, I care, the Blue Jays are now in the top mm-hmm. twelve of the MLB in bullpen ERA now." So we went from total disaster, unexplainably bad bullpen, every inherited runner scored to the top third of the league. And it's June 1st. That's not the top third. But yeah, sure it is. Top half. Well, There's 30 teams. But <laughs> You said in the top 12. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Top 10 would be the top third, Greg. Okay. They're in the top half of the league. <laughs> yeah. I mean certain guys have started to pitch better. I mean, Chavez has been homer prone, but for the most part, he's actually, well, yeah, it's because of all the runs of giving up that belong to the starting pitchers. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, but I mean, he, he pitched really well the other day and, you know, Biagini has been a revelation and, and some guys seem to be turning around. Storm actually has pitched much better of late. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it doesn't mean anything going forward, but it, they haven't maybe been as awful as you think they are. Uh, yeah, that was just interesting. It's just a final thought thing. I didn't want to go into too much depth. I, I can't Look, divide I, I was two. nice to you earlier. I can't stay that way. Ah, <laughs> uh, fair. Fair. <laughs> Got to beat me down a little bit. Otherwise, I might get cocky. All right. So this has been 
episode uh, 14 of Artificial Turf Wars. I have been Greg Wisniewski, and you have been Joshua Housem, and Chris Sherwin is in an undisclosed location. And hopefully all three of us will see you next week. <laughs>